This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the updates on the latest and on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book write podcast hosted by me, Kelly Jensen, alongside Eric Smith. We're recording on Thursday, February 15th, 2018. Hello, Eric. Hello. How I'm is it going? <laughs> good. I am joined by special guest Langston, my five-month-old son who is currently being held. So uh, if you hear any uh, baby chiming in, that is, uh, that's him. <laughs> that's their special guest. He's just chiming in with his opinion and take on things. Yes. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I know you just went through something similar, but I am moving tomorrow. Uh, oh, my no. apartment is currently covered in boxes. I'm, I'm crammed up against my desk trying to record right now. Um, everything's all over the place. Um, and I'm only moving a little bit, and I, and I sort of... I don't wish this on any of our listeners. Um, may none of you know the sort of exquisite torture of moving all your possessions to an yes. apartment that's a thousand feet away. I can see. Oh man! I can see it. I can see my new home from outside my window. Yet here I am, all my boxes, books, worldly belongings, all over the place. It is so frustrating. Um, so yeah, and I'm also traveling a little bit in the middle of the move. So it's it's all awesome and horrible. Um, <laughs> so my brain is a little scattered when it comes to things to read right now, but, um, mm-hmm. I do have blood water paint, uh, packed in my bag by Joy McCullough. I think that's how you say her last name. Um, this book about a, a young painter, um, Artemisina, uh, I don't know how to quite pronounce her last name. It's a, it's a true story about a painter, uh, in Rome who's, uh, she's 17, it's the 1600s and she's one of the most popular painters uh, in the city, even though no one really knows who she is. Um, and it's just like inverse novel. So it's a way easier read with all the stuff on my mind. Um, even though the content is really heavy and the writing is really gorgeous. Um, I feel like it's one of those books I'm going to have to read a second time when I can really sit with all the words and when I'm not just reading to forget that I'm buried in boxes at the (laughs) moment. (laughs) Um, but Kelly, you just moved. Do you have any tips for, for the next time I'm moving piles of books? Like, is there, is there anything to, to remember? Um, so my biggest tip is one I, I picked up when I moved, I guess it's been about 10 years now. Um, we moved from Texas up to Illinois and had a lot of books, obviously, even then. And the best thing I figured out for moving them was to get a bunch of those flat-bottomed reusable tote bags so, like, the kind you can pick up at you know, Menards, Target, grocery store, um, they're a buck. You know, pick up however many you need. I think this time I maybe picked up 15 or 20. So, 15, 20 bucks, a little bit of an expense, but they're reusable, so you get to use them over and over again. Um, and, and I found that putting my books in those was a lot easier for carrying and storing and hauling and 
um, just sort of like manipulating into the spaces between other things mm-hmm. uh, when moving. And it keeps the books in good shape too. Like, I don't know, boxes. So boxes for me are really hard to carry. Just like size-wise, the logistics of like carrying a box of books is, is yeah. difficult for me to like handle. Um, but a tote bag I can carry. I can carry multiple tote bags at once. And then when the moving is over and you've unpacked everything, you have these tote bags then to use for your groceries and everything else, which is really nice. That's such a good um, idea. Yeah, that's my, my biggest tip. My other one is one that I picked up this time in... For me, it's easy to, like, not do a thing after I've done a ton of things. So, like, I could leave unpacking for a long time, especially things like books. Um, You know, my laziness will win out in terms of unpacking them because I can just go to the library and get something to read. Like, I don't have to dig through what's on my own shelves to have something. But I found that by participating in an Instagram challenge, I was actually motivated to hurry up and get all my stuff like on the shelf so that I had access to my books. And I think that that's a little tip that might be helpful like on the other end after you've moved everything and you're like, man, I can't look at my stuff ever again. If you have to look at it in a different way, you know, like, okay, I'm doing this Instagram challenge. I know I have a book that fits whatever this topic, you know, you might be a little bit more motivated to just like do the work. At least I sure was. Yeah. So basically I should really keep all those tote bags I get from publishers at writing yep. conferences. Like, mm-hmm. should... yeah. All right. No, I like that. Yeah. It's, it's helped every time I've moved and it's the tip that I give to everybody just cause I find books to be like the least intimidating part of moving. Um, having figured that works pretty well for me. So um, I was laughing as you were saying that you are reading a book in verse because I'm also reading a book in verse. I'm reading um, The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. And it's a novel in verse about a girl living in Harlem who feels the pressure to be a good Dominican-American girl under her strict parents. But she is really interested in getting involved in this slam poetry group and she sort of wants to date. Like there's this cute guy that she's been hanging out with Um in public, not in private, because she knows that that wouldn't fly. Um, so, so it's a book about sort of balancing her wants and needs versus like this pressure she feels to be a good daughter and to not disappoint her parents and to not disapp- disappoint the church community. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this one later on in the show for one of our topics. But so far, really, really good. Um, I did not realize it was an inverse book. I, I just got sent a copy, and I just kind of like put it into all my boxes of books like oh, I'll read this later I, I need to read mm-hmm. something that's you know not heavy and now oh, now I'm mad that it's it's stashed <laughs> away somewhere well, it's funny because I didn't know it was in verse either I assumed that like I knew that she um the main character was a poet so I mm-hmm. assumed that her stuff would be included so we'd see some poetry and then when I started I'm like oh it's a whole verse novel I was like this is exactly what I want to be reading right now and I didn't even realize it um well, yeah I know too perfect so before we dive in, we've got two things we'll talk about today, nice and in-depth. Um, I just wanted to let listeners know that Book Riot has a really cool giveaway going on. It's a Penguin Clothbound giveaway, and we're giving away $500 worth of Penguin Clothbound classics. So um, they're designed by Coraline Bickford-Smith, and they have all kinds of different classic titles included in it. 
you can pick what you want, up to $500. And some of the titles are by Dickens or George Eliot, Mary Shelley, Tolstoy. Um, the giveaways open through March 13th. And you can go to Instagram.com slash Book Riot to enter. It's really easy. And the post is sticky right at the top of our Instagram. So you'll see it. But uh, I'm pretty jealous of whoever gets to win that. Because those are beautiful. They are beautiful books. Um, and then one more thing before we dive in. Our first sponsor is The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. The debut for Melissa Albert, who runs the BNN teen blog, is one readers have been buzzing about for months. Definitely one of 2018's most anticipated novels. Step inside the story and you may get lost in its beautiful writing. As a girl searches for her mother in a land that doesn't have any rules, and that may be a gateway to a land of dark fairy tales. Dying to get out. The yes. dark fairy tales. Yeah. Um, I, I read this book. one. Yes. Yeah, I read this one and I loved it. Um, I'm not usually like a big fantasy reader, but this one was really great for, um, I mean, it was standalone. It'll be a series now, but it stands all by itself, mm-hmm. but also has this like nice world building that you're like, okay, I can see how more titles could be added to this. Um, yeah, it was just a twist on, on fairy tale. Did you, did you get a chance to read it yet? Yes, it was so, so good. Mm-hmm. And beautiful, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I hate going back to, like, the book is so pretty, but, I mean, the arc was really pretty, and I'm told that the hardcover, like, finished copy is even more beautiful than that. Yes. So the first thing that we wanted to talk about was probably one of the bigger news stories recently, and that's uh, about the young adult books that have received awards at the Youth Media Award event. So the Youth Media Awards are given each year by members of the two organizations that serve children under the American Library Association. So there's ALSC, which gives awards to children's literature, and then there's also which awards young adult novels. Um, And each year, librarians serve on these committees reading all these books to um, award them. Like, what's the best of the best? I mean, I'm I'm explaining how awards work. I think we know how they work. You know what's funny? Yeah. I didn't know it was called the Youth Media Awards. So when people mm-hmm. were talking about the like the YMAs and Youth Media Awards on Twitter, like for for some bizarre reason, I kept thinking about like like the Kids Choice Awards and and <laughs> and like sort of mixing them up. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is is someone gonna get slimed at the at the this book awards? Like, what is this? And then I and then I felt very silly. <laughs> no, nobody got slimed. Um, I would say a lot of people got justly recognized yes. for their contributions. So um, we thought we would talk about the different awards, what won this year, and sort of like what we were thinking about them and, and who walked away. And um, So I'm going to start with the one that I think is most interesting, and that's the uh, Newbery Award. So the Newbery is the most distinguished honor in children's literature, and it goes back decades and decades and decades. And it's... For children's books published for an audience up to age 14. So anything can be eligible for the Newbery. And some of the titles that have won before include um, Kelly Barnhill's The Girl Who Drank the Moon, um, Kwame Alexander's The Crossover One. Those are just a couple in recent history. Generally, it's been middle grade books that have been sort of the heart and soul of the Newbery. Um, this year, though, two young adult books were honored as Newbery honors, which um, were Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson, which I believe we've talked about in this 
um, podcast a few times, Mm -hmm. and then Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, which I know we've talked about quite a few times um, on this podcast. So I was thrilled to see that there were two YA books honored um, in a category that tends to go a little bit younger. Um, And I think the last time, I thought I had notes on this, but oh, um, 2013 was the last time that we saw a YA book in the Newberry lineup, either as an honor or as a, as a winner. And that was Steve Sheinkin's bomb. Um, so it's been what five years yeah. since we've seen that. Um, and I think that's like the trend of this awards. I mean, year is all this new stuff. I it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like people are really reading those, um, guidelines that they're given. So, so every award committee has a set of guidelines and policies and procedures and I wonder how much is um, these committees really reading them and seeing like what they can actually award, rather than following like whatever the legacy they mm-hmm. believe to be is. Um, looking and seeing like where um, something that they read that they really want to honor, if it fits, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, just like I don't want to say pushing the envelope because they're not. They're doing exactly what the committee call is, but they're they're really looking beyond sort of what you would maybe anticipate them to be. Yeah. And in terms of middle grade books, you know, I was really excited to see Erin uh, Trotta Kelly get the, for, yes. for Hello Universe. Um, like her books have sort of been, you know, kind of my like entry into reading middle grade books. You know, I've been picking mm-hmm. them up regularly. Uh, you know, we were from the same area. We're both sort of the, from the Philly area. And uh, yeah, it's, my goodness, what a, what a thrill to see that happen. Yeah, that was a great, great win. Um, it was really nice to see that an award that generally goes to middle grade did go to middle grade, and yet it still honored two YA books, and then it honored a picture book. The other um, honor was Crown. I don't have the author's name handy, but it's a picture book. Um, and it was sort of nice to see this range of children's literature, like from early readers to more mature readers, being honored in this way. Yeah. Um, and another really interesting thing, so we haven't talked about this award yet, but the um, Prince Award is the biggest award for YA literature. And Jason Reynolds' Long Way Down was an honor this year for the Prince. And one of the things I kept seeing pop up on social media was how many books have received some kind of honor as both a Prince title and a Newberry title in the same year. And... It turns out it is three. There's um, been three total. Uh, one was Gary Schmidt, and the other was Nancy Springer, I believe. Gardner? Mm. Springer, Gardner? I have it down, and I feel so terrible that I didn't. Um, I'll probably run across it as we're talking. Um, oh, it's the House of the Scorpion book. House of the Scorpion, yeah. Um, which is really great. Like, it, it's... It's great to see that since The Prince has been around, and I can't remember how many years, over 10 years, um, maybe even close to 15 or 20 at this point, um, it's nice to see that there hasn't been that much crossover, um, that so many books have the opportunity to win an award. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we just need to like scream in unison here for Nina LaCour winning The Prince. Like, oh. Yes. We've definitely talked to her about her a lot and how like we are okay. I don't know. It felt like it was a bit overlooked uh, when it came to like best of lists and the like. And now, yeah, getting a prince. Hell yes. Uh, yes. I really hope more people discover the book, you know, after this. Me, t- 
Me too. It's, you know, it's a little book, um, probably 250 pages, if even, and um, just beautiful. Uh, I think I think with that transition, we should talk about the prints. That would make some sense um, for listeners. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> for listeners who don't know, uh, we are okay by Nina Lacour won the prints this year, and then there were honors for Strange the Dreamer by Lainey Taylor, Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, and Vincent and Theo by Deborah Heligman. Um, what a lineup! Like that is such an awesome like cross section of the types of books that were published this year. And you loved year. that Vincent and Theo book, right? Yeah, it was really good. Um, it was great to see a nonfiction be honored. It was great to see a fantasy be honored. It was great to see the hate you give be honored. Um, and of course, Jason Reynolds' title. Yeah, sort of getting like a nice look at the the very literary titles. As well as the commercial titles and those that sort of fall in genre and in nonfiction, things that are easy to overlook as sort of strong literary merit. I just love seeing Jason Reynolds and Angie Thomas get all these award <laughs> nominations and recognitions. Like I feel like like the cover of Long Way Down, like they're just gonna replace the elevator buttons with like the awards, you know, just like put the little <laughs> put little symbols on there and I feel like poor Star is gonna get like lost on the cover with all the awards. <laughs> Um, and that makes me very happy. It was almost like they planned, though, the hate you give with all that white space so that there would be room for all those Ooh. stickers. Although I think that there might be too many stickers now to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to cover the whole thing. Um, who was I going to go with? Oh, so this was a little factoid I saw on Twitter. Jonathan Hunt, who writes a lot about children's literature, shared this, and I thought it was just so worthwhile. Um, in 2014, so four years ago, the Prince and the Newberry slates, the whole slates, were all white. In wow. 2018, it's worth noting that every author on the Newberry slate was an author of color. And for the Prince, we have three authors of color. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what that means? Do tell. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it almost means that... If publishers are pushing and highlighting their diverse titles, they end up on more radars, they're read by more people, they're discussed by more people, and they're taken more seriously as award-winning books. Hmm. It seemed like putting the work in has has some sort of benefit. (laughs) Right? Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I love it. It's just, it's really awesome to see that. Um, You know, it's, it's so great to see these slates and be like, oh, that Newberry slate, there's not a white author on there at all. Like... You know, it's only been four years since the total opposite happened. Um, and that's that's really noteworthy. Um, I don't think it's worth patting everybody on the back, of course, but I do think it's worth noting and, and worth noting that, you know, highlighting these books matters because these books are great and these books have always been great. It's just been a matter of whose raiders they're on, who's discussing them, you know, how the publishers are distributing them, who the, mm-hmm. who's getting copies of them. Um and if we continue to hear about these titles, then we'll continue to see them showing up on lists like this. So we um, let's step to the Coretta Scott King Award, which honors African-American authors. And this one, so when they announce the awards, they're announced um, in a particular order by organization that's giving them. And the Coretta Scott King is one of the first ones that's awarded. And they announce Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson being a winner. And then it... Um, 
honored both Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds and The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And it was so neat to see that later on, Piecing Me Together and Long Way Down would go on to be Newberry honors, and The Hate You Give would go on to be a Prince honor, as well as a Morris winner. And let's talk about... Because I know you've read this one. I know you have some thoughts on this one um, in a good way. The Schneider Family Book Award, which honors artistic expression of the disability experience. And the winner this year was Your Welcome Universe by Whitney Gardner. Yay! Oh my goodness. Yeah. um, I was so thrilled to see this, in part because I, I love the book, but the thing that really... I love about it is Julia, who's the main character. She's deaf and she's a street artist. She's really prickly and she's mm-hmm. like hard edged and she is quote unquote unlikable. And it's so nice to see a book with a character like that be recognized as a great contribution to literature. Yes, I agree. I adored that book. Um, and it's another one that I want to see way more hype about uh, last year. Um, and it probably had my favorite line of like 2017 in it. There's this, there's this moment where the main character, she's like working in that fast food restaurant, or is it a, it's like a Dairy Queen kind of place, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And she's like super focused on the fryer, and she's like narrating, and she's all angry, and she's like, you need the fries. I hate the fries. I am the fries. And like, that mantra was like stuck in my head for like days, and it still makes me laugh whenever I think about it. It's just so smart and so funny. Um, oh, goodness. So well deserved. Yeah, that was one that I just, as soon as I saw that, because I think that was one of the first awards named, I was like, oh, this is a good sign for how the rest of the the event and the announcements are going to go. So the Margaret Edwards Lifetime Achievement Award, which just as it says, is a Lifetime Achievement Award for um, what an author, an individual author, has contributed to the world of children's literature, in this case, young adult literature, and they they pick an author, but they also highlight specific books by that author to showcase like why they deserve the award. And this year it went to Angela Johnson. Yeah, um, I was really surprised that she hadn't been nominated yet. Um, but it was really nice to see that that honor went to her. And it makes me want to revisit her work because it's been a long time. Yeah, um, I think the only book of hers I have is that that first part, last book, the teen mm-hmm. pregnancy book with that just that draw dropping cover with the kid on the cover with the the baby. Um, like, where would you tell someone to start like digging into her work? Because I know she has a lot. Yeah, I so I've only read two or three of her books. Um, I read Sweet Hereafter, which is one of the titles in the Heaven trilogy, which is um, where her first part last starts. Like that's the first book in that trilogy. Um, so you can read them apart, but maybe it would be best as a series to read. And then the other one I've read is A Certain October, which came out well, maybe five years ago. Um, what I would say for somebody who wants to dive in and like what I plan to do for myself is just go through the books that Johnson was nominated, um, that were nominated along with Johnson as like showcasing why she deserves this award. So those titles for The Curious are Heaven. Looking for Red, The First Part Last, Sweet Hereafter, Bird, and Toning the Sweep. So that would be, <laughs> I would start there. Yeah. Um, all of her books are short, too. I mean, we're talking like under 200 pages short. So. Oh, wow. It, it would be easy to do um, you know, a long weekend of reading most of her work over the weekend. 
The Stonewall Award. This is a really exciting one to see. Um, these are books of merit that explore LGBTQ experiences. And this year, there were two winners, Little and Lion by Brady Colbert and The 57 Bus by Dashka Slater. And then there was an honor title for the Stonewall, and that was The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. Mm. Yeah. What a great this, list. This is such a good list. Um, it was so nice to see Little and Lion be honored, because I feel like that book really fell under the radar in mm-hmm. 2017. Um, I agree. But this should give it some nice visibility and, and get more readers interested in it. Um and I think the 57 bus was maybe my favorite nonfiction read last year. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a true crime story, which digs into gender and sexuality and race. And to see it honored here and in other places, it was a shortlisted title for the nonfiction award is really great. I feel like there's like an ongoing theme right now where it's like every book that we love that's been nominated was a book that we're like, <laughs> oh, it didn't get enough love last year. And now here, it, here they are winning awards. It's uh, Which is great. Like yeah. that'll get it, get them more attention, you know? Uh, surprising no one. And like super, this, that isn't said in a sarcastic way. This is said in a like exciting way. Um, Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give won the Morris, which is honor, which honors um, the best debut YA novel um, in a given year. The, the thing I love about the Morris Award that's a little bit different than, say, The Prince is that the Morris cares about reader appeal. So it's given to books that show tremendous um, potential. So, like, the author's potential is, is honored, as well as the appeal that the book would have to teen readers. So the slate that we got this year was excellent. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I was not surprised to see the titles on it that I did. Mm-hmm. And then I did a quick, I would be surprised if the hate you give does not win this one. Cause it's just, it's like, it's that book is the perfect yeah. example of a, of a Morris title. Yeah. And I was so happy that Akimi Bowman starfish was nominated. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. the book I couldn't shut up about last year. And again, as is the theme of this section, it was a very under the radar book that uh you know I hope blows up a lot more. I just I just read that she sold she sold like two more books mm-hmm. to Simon Schuster. So she's she's not going away anytime soon, and I'm I'm very happy. Yeah. Um I was happy to see Saints and Misfits by SK Ollie also was a Morris, and that was similar to Starfish. One of those titles that you read and you're like, man, I hope a lot of people read this. Yeah. Um, and and I think it, it got a lot more attention, too, just from that visibility. And um, it was named an Amelia Bloomer title this this year, which is for feminist titles, uh, feminist children's books. And, um, yeah, it's, it's also exciting when you see then that these authors who um, get that recognition have more books coming, you know, <laughs> more to get excited about. So uh, let's talk about the Odyssey Award, which is given to the best audiobooks for youth, and that can be any any age group in youth. And this year's winner was The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Oh, man. Yeah. She picked up a lot of nice jewelry she for did. that debut. <laughs> uh, the Excellence in Nonfiction Award went to Vincent and Theo by Deborah Helligman. Helligman? Your favorite. Uh, yeah, um, you know, I, I will say I was pleased it won. I was a little surprised it won. I so thought that the 57 bus would, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was pleasant surprise, and I hope that that encourages more people to pick it up. 
um, as I was reading it, I was thinking about audience. And so the, the book, uh, Vincent and Theo, is about the relationship between the brothers, um, Vincent van Gogh and his brother Theo. And it looks at their letters and sort of the lives they lived and how they intertwined and how close they were. And I thought a lot about audience on that. Like, who is the reader on this? You know, mm. is it somebody who loves art? Is it somebody who loves history? And I really think it's both. I also think it's the sort of book that readers who love diaries, you know, like the stories behind famous people, mm-hmm. like of any stripe, will really um, enjoy it. And it's, it's a quick read. Like, the way it's set up is just, um, it encourages reading like not setting it down you know it encourages like okay i want to keep going like i want to know what happens i want to know a little bit more um so yeah i'm I'm pleased to see that it got the sort of recognition that it got um the alex is this the last one that we have to talk about i think so um the alex awards might be my favorite they um the alex awards honors books that were published for adults but that have really good appeal for teenagers so um, this like opens up a whole other world of books, right? So yeah. I don't read as much adult fiction or non. Well, I read a lot of adult nonfiction, but I don't read as much adult fiction as I, I wish I did. And I always find the Alex Awards to be a really great place to sort of go in because I know I'm going to get something that'll like um, grab my attention right away and hold it. Uh, so I'll just read the list. There's ten uh, this year. Those 10 include All Systems Read by Martha Wells, The Clockwork Dynasty by Daniel H. Wilson, Down Among the Sticks and Bones by Sean McGuire, Electric Arches by Eve Ewing, A Hope More Powerful Than the Sea by Melissa Fleming, Malagash by Joey Camo, Roughneck by Jeff Lemire, She Rides Shotgun by Jordan Harper, Things We Have in Common by Tasha Kavanaugh, and An Unkindness of Magicians by Kat Howard. Um, So I read two of these. I was so thrilled to see Malagash on this list. Um, Probably one of my favorite reads last year that I felt like nobody read. Um, It's a book. It's really short. I feel like that's the thing today. It's like, this is short. Um, But it's a short little book about a girl whose father is dying, and she wants to try to make his legacy live forever by creating a computer virus that would keep his spirit alive. Oh. Yeah. The premise, you're like, what? And then you read it, and it's a novel about grief and loss, but also about like how you hold on to somebody's memories and, and their lives when um, they're reaching the end of their own. Um, and then the other one that I read on this list was Things We Have in Common by Tasha Kavanaugh. I loved. Um, I'd sort of forgotten about this because it came out early in 2017, and it, it again, it's published for adults, but it, it definitely reads like a YA novel would read. And it's about a girl who, she's Turkish, and this is sort of the issue, making her an outsider. She's also fat, and so she's picked on in school by her classmates, and um, she becomes obsessed with this guy who she just, like, knows is going to kidnap one of her classmates. How she knows, I don't know, other than, like, she's tapping into, like, this feeling she has, right? So when the classmate goes missing... Uh, the main character, Yasmin, uh, has maybe now fallen in love with the guy who kidnapped her. Oh, so it's no. a story about, like, what does she do? <laughs> like, what is this relationship? Is it appropriate? Um, what happened to the classmate? Um, it's sharp and it's hard and also has just, like, one of the best voices I've read in a long time. 
Nice. So the only one of these I read was Cat Howard's uh, An Unkindness of Magicians. It takes place in a New York City that's powered by magic, which right away, you know, I'm into it. Um, there are magicians who are dueling. It's just a lot of fun, really dark. Um, I was really happy to see it on the list. But this list also kind of kind of makes me sad. It makes me feel like I'm not up to, I don't know, I, I'm just not on the on the pulse of, like, adult books because, like, I had no idea Daniel Wilson had a new novel come out. And, you know, while you were talking, I may have looked it up and I'm very mad at myself for not knowing <laughs> about that. Or that, you know, Jeff Lamar had another book. Like, oh, goodness. Well, I need to I need to make some changes. <laughs> but you can, you know, you can only read so much every year and, like, only absorb oh, so much every year. It's and true. only be aware of what's coming out so much, you know, and... When so much of your reading life is is in young adult, like why would all this stuff be on your reader all the time? Um, but that is, I mean, that's one of the reasons I like this award is it's like I'm learning about things that really interest me that I would have otherwise not found. Um, so I picked up um, She Rides Shotgun by Jordan Harper as soon as I heard about it because it's about a... Um, guy who's in prison and then there's a bounty put on his head and his 11 year old daughter sort of goes on the lam with him like what that sounds like absolutely bonkers and i need to read it yeah i need to pick up this daniel wilson book so. this is uh this is good a good episode <laughs> i'm learning <laughs> um so what sort of thinking about these awards and the titles that we talked about and just like how thrilled we are with with what the slates ended up being. Is there anything that surprised you that you didn't see? That I didn't see? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think I wrote anything down that, that particularly shocked me. Like, um, yeah, no. <laughs> what, what about you? I don't know so much that them not showing up shocked me, but it was interesting to see that there was nothing for Turtles All the Way Down, the John Green book, that, that um, the National Book Award winning title, Far From the Tree by Robin Benway, didn't show up on any of these um, slates. American Street didn't show up anywhere, and that felt like one of those um, reader favorites for a long time. Um, and also, the, I guess the one that I was a little surprised with, Francis Hardinge's A Face Like Glass, which had earned just um, tons of starred reviews in the trade journals and had such lovely reviews written of it didn't show up anywhere as well. I don't think uh, All the Wind in the World by Samantha Mabry was on Mm, anything either. Yeah, I didn't think about that. It's always interesting to see just where the differences are in terms of like what these librarians read and discussed and and came to decide versus what other committees read and, and discuss and decide. You know, like they could have the same sort of goal of awarding the best book for young adults, but the way they get there is so different and the, the conversations are so different and every reader goes in with a different thing that they're looking for or they read a book in a way that the another committee didn't read it, you know, and it all comes down to those discussions that happen and sort of what championing goes on and um, it's just fascinating. Like, I feel by having more words where we as readers are really rewarded with so much more to read and think about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we're talking about a lot about how these like, you know, books win awards, more people pay attention to them, uh, you know, 
like even just looking at the Alex's, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's all these adult books that are probably very clearly for me. I need to go buy them right now. Um, <laughs> and I know that like you and me will, but I'm always curious about how like awards help book sales, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. like far from the tree, like when it won the national book award, we saw it skyrocket onto the New York times list, which it hadn't been on before. Um, which is also made me really happy, but the, you know, does the Morris and the Prince, do they have the same effect? Like, I'm so curious about how, I don't know, how the audience for book awards, you know, I guess react sometimes to these sort of things. So from, from everything that I've come to understand, the Newberry and the Caldecott do, like, they really impact sales. So um, I won't be surprised if we see you know, Long Way Down show up on the bestseller list at some point in the near future. Same I hope, with piecing me together. Um, in terms of the Prince and the Morris, those awards, it's hit or miss, I think. Um, and I think it'll be really difficult to tell this year, in part because the Hate You Give has done so well and has been you know, a staple on the list for 50 weeks as of this recording. So um, you know, chances are we'll see it bump up to number one again. I think it's number two as of this week. Um, but I, mean, I, I sure hope that we see... We Are Okay by Nina LaCour show up on the list. Oh, um, yes. Just from what I've observed, often if they do, it's like, um, I think that it's a two-week gap. So we'll see it not next week, but the week after. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll stick around for a week or two and then sort of, and it'll continue to sell well, especially in schools and libraries. Um, but to the general reading public, I'm not sure that these awards mean much to them. But who knows? I mean, it'd be nice to be wrong. All right, so do we jump into our next our next section? Yeah, this this will be a, an interesting transition. All right, so first talk about sponsor number two. Uh, sponsor number two is uh, the class of two K eighteen books. This is all right. This is interesting. Um, so the class of two K eighteen books is a group of twenty debut young adult middle grade authors working together to increase awareness of their books, releasing between January and August twenty eighteen. Class of two K eighteen books are debuts of fearless fiction. Uh, books include starred. Titles by Booklist, Kirkus, and an ABA Indies Introduce pick. Uh, list represents an array of genres, including fantasies, contemporaries, mysteries, and thrillers. Uh, the class of 2K18 books team creates stories and characters they wish they had as kids uh, and teens and hope to inspire readers to face their fears. Uh, you can learn more about them at uh, classof2k18.com. And they so conveniently on their website have release dates for their debut titles, which is oh, great. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's like my one thing every year as I'm looking through debuts. It's like I see the list and I see the authors and the titles and descriptions, but so weirdly is there just like a date list, which is what I want. Like I want to read them as they come out or close by when they come out. So Yeah. I love these debut groups that get together and make these websites and have their like... Yeah, I'm sure they have their, like, private Slack or Facebook channels. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to be a fly on that wall and then sort of listen in to <laughs> all the gossip that happens. It must be good. <laughs> yeah, and also probably a lot of, like, um, fear and nerves and is yeah. this normal and, you know, all the jitters <laughs> that happen with publishing your first book. Yeah. So, this topic. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about sex in YA. You know, I just love it when there's a, a bad take. <laughs> in an article, and we get to have some fun and and try to and prove it wrong. Yeah. So this week's bad article in YA is um, <laughs> f- 
there's so many. The thing is, it's like there's so many. We could do each show talking about these bad articles, and and usually they're not worth it, right? Because it's just like a hit piece. But this one, there's a lot to really break down and talk about that I think that this one is worth um, some airtime and some discussion. And this is from the New York Times, February 9th, 2018. It's by Lizzie Skernick, who um, has written a book and had her own imprint for a little bit about classic young adult books. And the article is about sex and young adult fiction and how today's teen fiction is just not very sexy. <laughs> there's just like so, there's just so much wrong with that statement, you know, to like to uh, I know. <laughs> so, uh, I'll read a couple of excerpts from the piece. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes so you can read it yourself, but uh, these excerpts pretty much pretty much cover what like we want to dig into a bit. So, um, the first one I've got is quote, but nowadays far more scarce on the ground are books like Forever by Judy Bloom in which sex is a natural privilege for teenagers, like getting the keys to the car, end quote. Just, I feel like I'm just going <laughs> to sigh a lot as, as we're... <laughs> right. So, so one thing she does um, right before that statement is she notes that YA Today deals with quote-unquote issues about sex. So um, rape and pregnancy and abortion. And um, yeah, I mean, she's not wrong there, but... Uh, I'll save my, my commentary until after we read a couple more of these excerpts. <laughs> um, so, quote, In today's YA, the new attempts to get back into sex have been fumbling and awkward, like a first time. Consider a novel published last fall, Laura Hopper's I Never, an explicit homage to Forever. I Never, unfortunately, combines the breathlessness of adolescent romance with some of the vulgarity of porn. At one point, the protagonist, Janie, reveals in the dissonance of helping her boyfriend's mother with dishes only seven minutes before feeling the boy's erection, practically tearing a hole in her dress, end quote. I'll have more to say about that in a second. <laughs> I read the book, so um, got some comments there. And then the last little excerpt I wanted to read is this one. Uh, I wonder if the reason today's young adult fiction feels so sexually airless is that it lacks what made Bloom and her peers seem so dangerous. Their books were physically arousing. In adult books, that trait is often a reliable sign of bad writing. But for teenagers who are still strangers or newcomers to sex, the bonus of physical stimulation of something like forever or domestic arrangements can be validating, a way of making pleasure ordinary, appropriate enough to check out of the library. Those books were not afraid to let teenagers know that good sex can also be a good story. End quote. I'm like Where so mad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, like my physically very first com- like, oh, what? Okay. No, you go first. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my first comment is that this article really and truly reflects how little the author has read of contemporary YA literature. Yes. Um, her expertise is certainly in older YA, but oh, she talks about The Fault in Our Stars, she talks about Eleanor and Park, and she talks about this book, I Never. But she doesn't talk about a whole lot else in terms of um, naming titles. And um, I just want to say that today's... YA doesn't revolve around a plot like Forever, which is literally all about her having sex. Um, it's a little bit more complex now. 
It's a little bit more like sex happens. It's normal. It's natural. Um, but it's not the plot of the book, yeah. which uh, I want to go back then to this. I never. Um, the reason that that book was not very good, and I can say that it was not very good, is because the whole book is about her having sex. And that's literally all it is. Um, Skernick in the article talks about how flatly the characters are developed in that one. And it's for the precise reason that she's also dinging it, not being good at describing sex. Mm-hmm. It's because the book set out only to do that, um, which doesn't fly in today's way. Like today's way is so much more complex and nuanced and thoughtful and um, grapples with sex in a way that's different than 250 pages of I'm going to have sex with my boyfriend. Yeah. Um, and, and that too, I think is a segue into the second thought, which um, this article is super heteronormative. Um, Only sort of highlighting just intercourse between a female character and a male character. There's not much that goes into any other exploration of sexuality. And part of what makes today's YA so good and so thoughtful about sex is that it's far more than a girl's first time with a guy. It's a guy's first time with a guy. It's a girl's first time with a girl. Um, It's a girl's first time masturbating. It's a person's first time understanding they're not interested in sex at all and that that's okay. We have really sort of found a way in YA in the last five, ten years to be more rich in just what we're exploring when it comes to sexuality, what sexuality is, and sort of how teens come to discover and understand it in the teen years. Um, And tying that back to my first point, I can't help but wonder what would happen if um, Judy Bloom's teens had, like, Tumblr. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Like, the story would be a little different, right? What What are your sort of thoughts? I saw your notes in this. I was just so mad when I was reading the thing where where she's talking about um, uh, uh, how like <laughs> the books are physically arousing and that uh, made yeah. them better. Um, and there's just like it's, they can't be serious, right? Like if you're an adult reading YA and you're disappointed that the prose isn't physically arousing, like get out of my library. Like I, uh-huh. like I don't like what is going on. Um, and that's also not what it's there for, right? Like it's not there to be physically arousing. It's just I'm so mad (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's something just like super unsettling about this idea of adults reading YA which is about 18 year olds or under and being disappointed that there's not something titillating in it like oh that doesn't seem like a good line to even be sort of telling or discussing like oh it's you know um ah yeah (laughs) and i mean i again i go back to that first comment like what is she reading um because she's not reading these books that are super honest about sex in all of its capacities you know and and if teen fiction is about coming of age and discovery like it shouldn't be physically arousing like it's about messy and complex and like confusing and sort of figuring it out you know should we talk about some of these better books because you have you have quite the list um yeah do you want to start yeah yeah um let's see um 
so yeah, your list is amazing. I have a couple here. Um, I really like, so, you know, when we're talking about um, really great representation of sex in YA, um, we have a couple that we want to chit-chat about. So there's uh, uh, The Duff by Cody Keplinger, um, mm-hmm. which if you watch the movie, you probably didn't get the sense of, you know, the the sex on the page that happens in the book. Um, Cause there's this great relationship between the main character and her like sort of enemy, but becoming more um, sort of hate to love uh, love interest in the book where she's like using him for sex in the story. Um, and Bianca is just such a, such a great character and it's such like a sex positive book. Um, and Kepler sort of does this thing where she has lots of sex represented on the page, right? Like mm-hmm. shut out yep. has it too, with all the girls going on like a sex strike um, mm-hmm. in the book. Um, I didn't read Run, but I'm not, I'm not sure really what happens in that book. Um, but she's a great example of someone that writes, um, you know, great sex on the page. Yeah, she does. Um, so part of why my list is long is that a couple years ago, a book came out called The V Word, edited by Amber J. Kaiser. And it's a nonfiction collection of essays about white authors' first times having sex. Um, I've got an essay in the book and I've also got in the book, um, an interview I did with Amber talking about how teen sex is portrayed on the page and as well as in media. So this has been a topic of interest of mine for a long time, Ah. um, particularly when it comes to female sexuality. So like things that apparently Lizzie is not interested in, um, because it's not, you know, just heteronormative intercourse, um, so one of the ones I wanted to talk about was one I just read recently, um, A Line in the Dark by Melinda Lowe. There's a really excellent masturbation scene in there, um, and it's a girl. Um, and it's one of those things that I was reading, and I hadn't anticipated that coming up, and it was one of those moments where I read it, and I was like, whoa, it's so normalized and just so like part of the main character's life. Like It's just a thing she does. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not... Shameful, it's it's just a really honest portrayal, and it was one of those moments that I was just like, this is how sex is portrayed now in way. It's just normal. Like, there there's not, like, the whole book isn't, the climax of the book is not the climax of the character, you know? Um, yeah. It's a little bit more than that. <laughs> well, speaking we of... We can laugh about it. We yeah, can laugh about it. Well, speaking of Melinda Lowe... Um, you know, I was thinking about um, The Summer Prince by uh, Aliyah Dawn Johnson. Um, Johnson co-authors those those cereal box books with Melinda, uh, the Tremontane books. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read them uh, just yet. I really need to get into uh, into cereal box. But, um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, sex and YA in terms of, uh, like, the more, the more genre stories and less contemporary. And I think this is mm-hmm. a good example of one. Um, you know, it's explores bisexuality and, and, and you know, getting in touch with their sexuality amongst like this big dystopian rebellion. Um, I think it's a great example of, uh, of that. And plus it's, uh, you know, one that's in more of a, a genre sort of story. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is it's, I mean, a lot of mine are contemporary because that's what I tend to lean towards, but it's mm-hmm. not only in contemporary, like yeah. it's in all genres within YA. Um, it's just a matter of like, are you seeing it? Are you looking for it? What are you reading? Um, you know, and, uh, so one that I had that I read the last two years ago, um, Cherry by Lindsay Rosen. And this is one that I keep thinking about. I think about it a lot. It's a story about four girls who are best friends. It's the start of their senior year of high school and they make a pact to lose their virginity by the end of the year. 
So it has that premise of the book is going to be about sex. But the book follows all four girls and it, it showcases how different all their sexual experiences are, how different all their sexual preferences are. Um, there's girl-on-girl intimacy on the page in the book. Um, this is not a shy book at all, but it's not a book that's just about sex. It's about their friendship. It's about the four of them sort of figuring out what they're going to do when high school ends, but also their friends and they have this pact. So sex plays a part. It's a normal part. And um, they all grapple with like whether this is this pact is something that they are going to be able to come through with or if it's something that they even want to come through with. Um, mm. Yeah, really smart. That's Cherry by Lindsay Rosen. Um, Definitely way better than I Never, which um, I would not <laughs> recommend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else do I have? Uh, well, there's uh, History is All You Left Me by Adam mm-hmm. Silvera, who is a, a favorite of ours. Um, actually, when this whole article happened, um, I remember Adam tweeting uh, about the article and doing a whole thread about why uh, he wrote sex in his novels. Um, and the main character in History All You Left Me has you know, unpaid sex with three different people um, mm-hmm. for three different reasons. You know, at, at one point, it's sort of like self-destructive. Um, and Adam talked a lot about how what he was writing sort of reflected his experience uh, growing up. So uh, those of you who are on Twitter, uh, yeah, look up Adam and, and see what he had to say about this because it, uh, it was really interesting. And uh, this book is also uh, really great and sort of breaks that uh, heteronormative thing you were talking about earlier, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um. I've got a bunch more, and just for the sake of time, I'll list them in the show notes so that people can can check them out. But the last one I'm going to talk about is just tie it all back to the very first book I talked about, which was The Poet X by Elizabeth uh-huh. Acevedo. Um, I was reading it this morning, and as I'm reading it, I suddenly came upon a poem that she wrote where she's masturbating. And... Um, it's, it's a short little poem, and immediately the main character feels guilt for this, for doing this, because it conflicts with what she believes um, her faith would tell her, and it also brings her shame just thinking about like her upbringing and that she shouldn't be thinking about sex or physical pleasure or enjoyment, and um, yet... She just is like, that's Mm -hmm. just a part of who she is. And she's growing up and she's a teenage girl and she's got this boy that she's like super into, but has to really sort of not talk about or make obvious that she has feelings for because of all these pressures on her. And um, it's this amazing little bit in the book that's just so natural. And it's such a natural act of rebellion for her, um, even though it's just a natural behavior. Um, And I thought that that it was grappled with really well within, you know, 30, 40 words. Like, (laughs) you don't need a whole book to be focused on it to sort of get so much um, exploration of sexuality and and teen sex um, in a book. You know, it doesn't have to be the plot. It can be a very small piece and yet really hit home what it is today's teens are thinking about. Yeah. Now I have to find that book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a good one. It's a really good one. like I said, we'll, we'll link to some more titles in the comments, um, or in the show notes, rather, because there's a lot. Um, and, again, it's just sort of, you can write anything piece you want if you cherry-pick what your evidence is, you know? Um, and, and I feel like this was a really great example of somebody who has great knowledge of old way, but maybe hasn't kept up with um, more contemporary yeah. <laughs> titles. 
Man, we have talked. Our talk, our show is... Yes. Um, <laughs> we were like, is two topics going to be enough? Well, we have enough to talk about. Oh, yeah. We, we had no problem talking. Um, so with that note, thanks for tuning in this week. If you've got any feedback, please leave it on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. It helps other people find our show. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make HeyYA possible. You can follow me, Kelly Jensen, on Twitter and Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars. And you can follow Eric Smith on Twitter and Instagram as Eric Smith Rocks. And we will talk to you again in two weeks.